Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What's up, It's This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go Chargers, go! Welcome to your early edition of the Lightning Round Podcast for Jamie Hoyle, who is at Lightning underscore round. It's me, Garrett Sisti, which is the same on Twitter. What a thrilling win on Thursday night, and we're going to get into all of it real quick. We got some shout-outs to those who contributed to the Beer Fund and I'll begin uh, with the first donation from Glenn Ferguson. Next donation is from our favorite little man, Liam, our favorite listener, our favorite contributor to the show. Uh, and his dad wrote a note for us, says, hey, guys, I think that your podcast is awesome. Go Boats from Liam. And his dad, James, says, Liam put his own money he's been saving for this. FYI, he was adamant tonight that he sent in a donation. So thank you, Liam, for the donation. We appreciate it. Uh very much. Thank you very much for thinking of us and for sending in that donation. Yeah. Unreal. Probably the most significant donation we have ever gotten, not in terms of money, but just the fact that this kid saved his money and wanted to give it to us. Uh, we'll have something planned for Liam soon. So James, who also uh, contributed to the Beer Fund, thank you so much. James, uh, send us your email address through the app. You, you know you know how to do it. You've sent us some phone calls Send me an email. We'll uh, get something worked out. And uh, we got your message. So thank you so much to you and Liam. We appreciate you both so, so much. Thank you. 
So the next donation is from Ben Jacobson, who, fent- who sent us a very fitting donation, something I kind of joked about last week, saying if people wanted to teach me a lesson, they could send us $59 donations uh, to teach me a lesson for not believing in big boot Michael Badgley when he kicked that 59-yard field goal. So, Ben, thank you for taking part in the joke, and thank you for contributing to the beer fund. Uh, like I said, we've kind of gone from the Bud Light fund to the craft beer fund over the last few weeks, and we appreciate that. So thank you for your contribution. Yeah, and Jamie and I were actually talking before the show started, and uh, we might have something special planned. So thank you very much for all these donations. Our last one this week is from Joseph Cruz, who wanted to contribute to the beer fund. Thank you, Joseph, Ben, James, Liam, Glenn. We appreciate you all. You guys are our dudes. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much. And like we always say, we appreciate everybody, no matter how you choose to support us, whether you're recommending us to your friends, listening to the show, uh interacting through social media or through the app rating us on itunes or sending in money that's our favorite we love all of you so thank you very much (laughs) yeah man it is very cool i don't know if it's because the chargers are winning and things are fun right now but uh everybody's spreading the word about the podcast uh for those that don't know about it uh, i don't know where they've been but uh there are some who still haven't listened to the podcast and they're spreading the word. I saw even today somebody was talking about, hey, download the Lightning Round podcast. Uh, so thank you so much, everybody, for spreading the word. We're here. We're going to go on to questions, and then we're going to talk about this game. So this question is from Ian. He says, hi, love the podcast. Firstly, the worst thing about this season is the draft. It's going to be so dull for us in April because we'll be picking 32nd. <laughs> uh, funny. Great. That would be awesome. But... Very true, because about this time, I was thinking about it on Thursday, too, we're usually scouting guys by now. We are. We're starting to kind of— We're looking at the national championship game, who could be in the Chargers slot, who isn't, uh, what position to need. I'm not even worried about it. I haven't even thought about it once. No. I I downloaded the the player database for this year's draft like three weeks ago and haven't looked at it once, so— it's a great feeling, isn't it? So <laughs> it is. It's kind of foreign, like like everything else we've been going through this season. But it is a great feeling. Yeah, man. So, all right. Well, back to his question. He says, uh, "My main question is, who do you give more credit to for the team's current success, Anthony Lim or Tom Telesco? Feels like Lynn has totally changed the mentality in the team, but Telesco has drafted well and picked up some great free agent, undrafted free agents." The depth at running back, for example, compared to two, three years ago is astonishing. Thanks again, Ian in UK. He's at geese are evil. <laughs> um, actually, think Which that's are re- true. Geese are pieces of shit, man. <laughs> geese, swans. Uh, anyway, no, go ahead. Um, I actually think this is an interesting question. I've thought about it a lot because we have not been very complimentary of Tom Telesco at times on this show. And... We obviously love Anthony Lynn. We both talked about how we thought he'd change this team around when they hired him, and he's done that. And I I keep going back to an article I read after they hired him last year, right before the draft, where Tom Telesco was interviewed talking about draft philosophies and evaluating players. And he said in that interview that this coaching staff is heavily involved in in studying players, scouting players, determining who they want to draft, and they have a very specific plan for how they want to use every player they draft. So I think the drafts are getting better, and I think it's it's because the coaches have had a lot more say in who they're drafting and why they're drafting them, and they actually know what they want to do with this guy, except for maybe Forrest Lamp, uh, when they <laughs> draft them. <laughs> so that so they're not 
they're not guessing and feeling around and moving guys around just trying to get them on the field. They have a specific plan in place for them, and they have, it seems like they have a plan in place for everybody on the team, man number one through man number 52. So I think the coaches have had a lot to do with that, and I think Telesco has been doing a better job of hitting on guys later in the draft, and he's not missing on as many early first-round picks. So I think it's been a team effort, but I think the approach that the coaching staff takes and the, the amount of input they have according to that article at least, has played a big role in the drafts getting better, the free agent, the UDFAs they're bringing in getting better, and guys down at the bottom of the depth chart really playing a role and contributing from week to week. Yeah, uh, so I think this is a good question, definitely. Uh, I'm I'm definitely giving the nod to Lynn. Um, I would understand why you'd give it to Telesco, but um, I think Telesco has got the players, but Anthony and Lynn has really turned this roster around. When you think about... 2016, which was the last year of Mike McCoy's tenure, and the current roster, the only real significant difference for me is the offensive line, obviously, because that's a whole changeover. Mike Williams and Derwin James. Other than that, it's a lot of the same guys. Still Rivers and Gordon, and you have all the same wide receivers outside of Mike Williams. On defense, it's the same defensive front. It's still Bosa and Ingram, and Perryman's still there, and Jatavis is still there, Kyle Emanuel. A die, same corners, like those all, those guys are still there. And yet that 2016 went five and 11. And, you know, you were talking about, uh, running backs, Ian. And I remember in 2016, it was in the, in the offseason, it was Melvin Gordon, Danny Woodhead, and Brandon Oliver. And everybody was talking about that three headed monster. And everybody was excited about that until Woodhead and Oliver ended up going down. So the running back group is, yes, maybe better because they're more productive but we we're all excited about that group too i think this is all about anthony lynn now the upgrades have come from tom telesco and he has hit on a lot of the later round picks we, we've seen isaac rochelle make some moves and they've got sam tevy now starting a right tackle but um you know a lot of the first round picks are doing great derwin's been just vaulted this defense so you know with this roster even as it stands today mike mccoy probably still has them sub 500 at this time this year. So I would say Anthony Lynn gets the nod over Tom Telesco in this scenario. I think it's Lynn and the coaching staff because I think yeah, they're really yeah, yeah. developing guys from, from top to bottom. It's not like, you know, if you're not a starter on offense or defense or a key player on special teams, it's not like they don't have a plan for you and you're just sitting on the sideline waiting for a chance to play. Everybody's contributing. And I think that has a lot to do with Lynn's background as a player where he was, fighting for a roster spot every year. He had to fight for a roster spot as a running back and a special teams player. Uh, and he always had to prove that he deserved to stay on the team and earn his keep. And I think that mentality is carried over to him as a coach where he is really taking the time to develop guys and find specific roles for guys at the bottom of the roster who can contribute and make meaningful contributions, not just run down the field on the punt team three times a game. And okay, that's my playing time everybody's contributing and it seems like everybody believes they've got a chance to make a meaningful play every week. And that's a completely different mentality than it was when McCoy was here. Guys are playing for each other. They're all playing for the man next to them. You know, all those cliches, but it's true. They're all fighting for each other because they all believe that they have a chance to contribute and help the team win. And that is not, that wasn't, that was not the case when McCoy was here. No, no, not at all. Uh, the next question is from Chris in the Middle East, and he says, love the pod. Do we have any updates on Hunter Henry? What are the chances of getting him back for the postseason? It seems like we had such hopes when the injury occurred. Well, nobody's heard any updates. The team hasn't given anybody any updates on Hunter Henry, but 
Before Thursday's game, Hunter was running on the field at Airhead with a knee brace on, and he didn't look to be struggling all that much, to be honest. I would say that's probably a good sign. He's probably trending in the right direction, but I still think it's probably a long shot to see him back this season. We'll obviously see, but I think, you know, Anthony Lynn and Tom Telesco both emphatically saying, we don't want to make this worse. We don't want to bring him on too soon. You know, we'll see. But uh, the fact that he was even running and he was on the field and with the team on Thursday is definitely a good sign. Yeah, uh, seeing him out there running before the game is encouraging, if nothing else. Um, I tend to agree with Garrett. I said at the beginning when it happened, when the injury occurred and people were saying, oh, he's going to be back in December. I said, you know, I'm, I'm not so sure. It just seems like with a young player who's got a couple years left on his contract, you want to make sure the last year or two on his contract are, are – um, you know, safe and secure and you get the most out of them. And that might mean not bringing them back this year at the end of the year, uh, in a li- in a potentially limited capacity. Um, I, I just, I think, you know, they go the way that they went with Melvin Gordon here, um, on, on Thursday in Kansas city. I think they probably err on the side of caution and probably do not bring him back unless maybe something catastrophic happens and maybe Keenan isn't able to go down the stretch or in the postseason, and they feel like they can get a lift there. I just I just don't think they bring him back. I don't think they necessarily need him. I don't think the offense is hurting without him. I don't think it's a dire need like some people might have thought it would be when he got hurt. And I just as seen I just as soon see him spend the whole off season, the whole season and the whole off season mending and be ready to go for training camp without risking bringing him back too soon and potentially losing him before his contract is up. Yeah. Okay. So last question here and then we're going to go to storylines and then at the end of the show we're going to talk about the playoffs because the Chargers clinched and we got some things to talk about. So we'll talk about that at the end. Last question here, Jamie, is directed at you and you only. Will Jamie finally give Mike Williams some love? The only quote-unquote compliment I've heard him say is that the Chargers do a good job of scheming him open. as from David Bernal. So, Jamie... Ready to heat that oven up to 350 and throw that crow in and <laughs> take a big old bite? <laughs> no, I, I didn't like him when they drafted him. I, I still don't like him. I, I don't care how many touchdowns he had in that game in Kansas City. Uh, no, I'm not eating crow. I'm not going to say I was wrong. I'm not going to say he's better. I'm not going to do it. No, no, uh, absolutely yep. not. I'm, There's I'm Jamie for you. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm joking. We're going to talk about him a lot here um, during the show, I'm sure. And he deserves a lot of credit for what he did in Kansas City under the circumstances, which we'll get into here. Uh, I thought that was his best game as a pro by far. I thought maybe we saw some signs of him developing into that playmaker that they need him to be once Keenan went down. And they kind of leaned on him, and they found a matchup that worked, and they kept going after it, and it kept working. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for making the plays that he made. So um, that was, in my opinion— that was the first game where I saw him find a matchup that he could beat consistently, take advantage of it time and time again, and make big play after big play and really put this team on his back and carry this team. So he deserves a lot of credit for what he did. And like I said, I'm sure we'll be getting that here. I know we'll be getting into that here shortly once we get into our storylines. We might as well just get into it right now. Uh, we're both going to talk about Mike Williams, so I'll go ahead and let you start with it. All right. Well, my... It was going to be my second point, but my first my first storyline here is Mike Williams' big night. And we just, just to get into the stats real quick, just to summarize what he did, Mike had seven receptions on nine targets for 76 yards, two touchdowns, the two-point conversion that won the game, also had one rush for 19 yards and a touchdown. 
Uh, you look at what he did in the context of that game with Keenan going down in the first quarter and the team being down two scores. He found a matchup that he could exploit against Steven Nelson, who uh, had zero chance to defend Mike, by the way, at any point during that game. And he basically made Steven his son, for lack of a better term. for a, And in, in the interest of avoiding swearing with Liam listening, <laughs> he made him his son there on national television. Um, he consistently beat man coverage. He was open all night long. Even when they didn't throw him the ball, he was open. And it was the first game where he consistently exploited that, that favorable matchup. I think the most impressive thing about his, his night was he had eight touches. All but one of them went for either a first down, a touchdown or a two point conversion. So all of his plays were impact plays. They either extended drives or finished drives or finished the game. And that's a huge night by any measure, whether you're a second-year player or a fifth-year player or a rookie or whatever. To have a night like that under those circumstances, under the weight of a nine-game losing streak where you have a chance to potentially tie for the division lead, uh, that is a big-time moment, and he made one big-time play after another, and Mike deserves all the credit in the world. Yeah, no, absolutely. He played like a man possessed. Keenan Allen goes down in the second quarter, and then the question becomes, Who's going to pick up the slack? And the answer is all of them. But Mike Williams was something else. He scored the two touchdowns, like you mentioned. Obviously, a two-point conversion for the win. He had a career night. Also displayed the exact reason why the Chargers drafted him. He was the best version of the Clemson Mike Williams that we've ever seen. And we did not see it at all in his rookie year. He made tough contested catches in big moments and was a mismatch in the red zone, which is something we talked about on the draft podcast just can't replicate that size. And he was just a weapon at Clemson, and he was just a big-time target that you go to when you get in there inside the 20, and the Chargers did it, and they did it when they needed it, and they leaned on Mike Williams. He's basically a power forward playing wide receiver, but as you saw, that toss to Williams has some serious burst as well when he hit that hole. God, man, he was quick. He did not look like a wide receiver. He looked like a little scat back when he hit that hole. What we saw from Mike Williams on Thursday was incredible. Honestly, since the bye, it's basically been Mike Williams' show as wide receiver, too. He's had five touchdowns since the break, and you couldn't have picked a better time to have a breakout performance for Mike Will on a national stage. Mike became the first Chargers wideout with 10 touchdowns in a single season since Tony Martin in 96. And honestly, as his team heads into the playoffs, you know, a question we've asked on this podcast a lot is, you know, what is the Chargers identity in the red zone? And now it looks like they can really mix things up. And when you add Mike Williams and what he did on Thursday as the dependable jump ball fade option that like they did on the last touchdown of regulation, you, it becomes more diverse. Uh, and it's becoming this pick-your-poison with defenses. Gordon Eckler can obviously punch it in. Keenan Allen gets open on those quick hitters. You've got If you've got Mike one-on-one on the outside, go to him on a fade. you got Tyrell Williams and Gates as the options four and five, respectively. But it becomes a point like, who are you going to guard? And you saw on the two-point conversion that the Chiefs converged on Tyrell Williams because they were afraid of him, and it was kind of a broken coverage, but they went after the wrong Williams, and Mike was wide open. So it did go to that pick-your-poison, and they just guessed wrong. So it's really starting to come together for these Chargers. They showed it on Thursday, and if Mike Williams continues to keep playing the way he is because he just looks better and better every week, to have that dependable option to just be that jump ball wide receiver, 
will pay off when they start playing in the playoffs. Yeah, I think the next step for him is really to to beat good corners because Steven Nelson's not a very good corner and be a little bit more consistent between the 20s. To be fair, the Chiefs don't have a single good corner. They do not. They're, they're, <laughs> <laughs> their secondary is garbage, as uh, Keenan Apley put it. Uh, uh, Kendall Fuller is doo-doo one and... Orlando Scandrick is doo-doo number two. two yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they do not have very good options back there in the secondary, even with Eric Reed back. Eric um, and that obviously, from a, a, a standpoint of providing context, that obviously played a role in the night that Mike had. But he was huge, and he was not going to be denied. So he deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, and hopefully he can get more consistent between the 20s and be a more consistent target during the course of games because it seems like he has a tendency to have a big game and kind of disappear a little bit. So you'd like to see him be more consistent between the 20s and game to game. But if he, if that's the Mike Williams, the Chargers are going to get down the stretch, this offense is going to be a handful because, I mean, if Keenan comes back, they get Gordon Eckler back. I mean, there's just too many people to spread the ball around to. Yeah. Uh, how, you can't guard all of them. So right. it, it's, it gets scary for AFC teams that are in the playoffs if, if that's the Mike Williams that you're going to see down the stretch. Yeah, absolutely. So – you know, I'd like to touch on another wide receiver because Mike will, you know, he might have been the game's MVP, but Travis Benjamin was this game's hero, man. On that last drive, Travis Benjamin made two of the most important catches of his lifetime. Rivers drops that dime on first and 20 with that two-man beater after that Feeney's holding penalty where he drops it between three defenders. Benjamin makes the catch, dragged down low by Eric Murray while Ron Parker is hitting him full speed, shoulder checks him. Takes him off his feet and he still holds on he for that thirty-one yard game on that, on that play. It was it was insane. And then the biggest catch and the most significant play of the game was that reception on fourth and seven. I mean, Rivers let that ball go early in the pocket. It was starting to collapse on him just a little bit. Benjamin had no separation when he released it, but Rivers knew if he's even, he's leaving. That's what they say, man. Let it go. Once that ball came out, Benjamin up the seam, had a step on Fuller in coverage. He makes a tough catch with Fuller diving to try to break it up. Takes a hit at the end of it. It was a great strike from Rivers. Great concentration on Benjamin's park. And I have to give credit to Travis Benjamin on the last drive. He was huge. He played so big when the team needed it. And, you know, he's usually playing small and timid. And I don't want to... I don't want to backtrack here and go back to my old uh, ways on Travis Benjamin, but he deserves a ton of credit. And for eating crow on Mike Williams, get, gobble that up. I'll take more because Travis <laughs> Benjamin was incredible on yeah, that last drive. Those are easily the two biggest catch of his, uh, catches of his Chargers career. I mean, the yeah. ball on first and 20, right in between three defenders, took two vicious shots to the head. I mean, I'll be honest. I was expecting to see the ball on the ground when he took those shots. Absolutely. It was not, and I would not have blamed him had he dropped it, given the hits that he took. Well, I probably would have, but I'll say now that I wouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he hangs on. He gets up after the big catch. Then on fourth and eight, you know, for once we're on the other side of this, right? What was it? Fourth and 23 against the Ravens, fourth and 26 against the Ravens a few years ago. <laughs> now it's fourth and eight that we'll remember forever. Travis makes that catch as Rivers drops the ball right over Fuller's head. He had no idea where the ball was. Just a huge play to get them in the red zone. Uh, huge props to Travis for, first of all, hanging on to that first and 20 throw and then and then finishing that fourth and eight catch. I mean, just, I mean, he that catch on first and 20 
was something that I never thought I'd see him make. I thought he'd you expect him to alligator arm that ball, drop it, and like I said, you'd expect almost anybody to drop that ball with the hits he took, and it'd be hard to blame them unless it's Travis. <laughs> Sometimes, because <laughs> uh, he's such an easy target. Because he's such an easy target. But huge catches, big moments. Uh, they don't win that game without him. I mean, straight up, uh, he doesn't make those two catches, particularly obviously the one on fourth and eight. They're done. So, yeah. Uh, big credit to Travis. Big props. He made two huge catches uh, and is serving us a pretty huge dish of crow here tonight. And I'm glad to take it because it means the Chargers won. So happy to be wrong. Happy to see him make those plays. Very happy to see the Chargers snatch that victory and and crush the Chiefs fans' souls as they're waiting in line for their AFC West <laughs> T-shirts. Yep. Arrogant, <laughs> expectant pieces of crap. <laughs> I love that, man. I wish there was a video of the reaction when they lost. Because you just saw the line. If you don't know what we're talking about, there's a video online where inside the stadium they're going to sell T-shirts. If the Chiefs had won, they were the AFC West champs. And so there were people already starting to line up and stuff, and they were uh, ready to buy their T-shirts. And, of course, they couldn't get them because they lost. But I would have loved to see reaction videos after they lost. Because that would have been incredible. All the reaction videos so far all this week have been just great from Charger fans and also the disappointment from Chiefs fans who were like throwing beers at Michael Davis and a die and uh, getting really pissed off at Charger fans. It, it was uh, it was nice to be on the other side of it. It, it really was. is. It's fun. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was. Uh, I I couldn't sit still at work on Friday. I mean, all day long. Every time I got up from my desk, I had a little pump, fist pump to celebrate. Uh, might have been dancing a little bit um, upstairs where nobody could see me <laughs> when I got it from my desk during the day. Uh, that was that was that was a lot of fun to be a part of and and watch that watch them pull that game out. And uh, yeah, I, I'm still flying high to be honest with you. That's that's going to take a while before I come down off that high. Speaking of flying, I had, a, I had a totally different experience. I was on a plane and I watched the game live, and I was flying into San Diego. And there were a lot of not happy San Diegans after the Chargers won. And there was a fuck the Chargers chant going on with a good portion of that plane. And a guy who was sitting in the row in front of me looked back and, uh, I guess, noticed me uh, during the flight and said, Hey, you're you're Garrett from Lightning Round, right? And I was like, Yeah. <laughs> and he gave me a fist bump, and we bumped fists while everybody's chanting, Fuck the Chargers, because the Chargers have won. So it was, uh, it was tough to celebrate out there on the plane, but, man... It was a lot of fun to watch. I, I was a little bit more quiet than I wanted to, but it was amazing, man. It, that just an experience we probably as Charger fans will never forget. I mean, the, the last three minutes of that game were just ridiculous. I, I posted about this on Twitter, but you think about everything they go through there. You know, they get the, the, the three and out against the Chiefs. They get the ball back. Um, Feeney gets that holding call, which, I mean, you could argue it was BS. He had a barely had two fingers on Chris Jones t-shirt or Chris Jones jersey. Um, then Travis makes the catch. Then they, then they get to fourth and eight. Travis makes another catch. Um, Philip takes the hit on the sack, the hit to the head where he's he's arguing and the clock almost runs out. Um, they get the penalty to extend the drive. Andy Reid saves him from a delay of game there at the end where he calls a timeout inexplicably as, the, as the, I think there were five seconds left on the play clock and the Chargers were nowhere near lined up yet. And then you get the touchdown catch from Williams. You get the, the two-point conversion from Williams and the celebration. I mean, so many ups and downs just in the last three minutes of that game. It was kind of a microcosm of the Chargers' whole season, really. Everything they've been through, everything they've overcome. I mean, just 
amazing. Just, yeah. an, just an amazing experience. Just euphoric, really. All right. Well, uh, go ahead and give me your next storyline. Uh, my next storyline, which was going to be my first, but we jumped to Mike Williams, is, and I just kind of mentioned it a little bit here, is the the Chargers overcome, and it's kind of a summary of everything they overcame during that game. You know, you talk about playing in a hostile environment in KC where they have not played well historically. Uh, Lynn coaching against Andy Reid, where I think you go in just expecting Reid to outcoach Lynn in that game. Uh, you've got all the ghosts of the nine-game losing streak over the last four or five years. They turn the ball over twice early in the game. No Gordon, no Eckler. You lose Keenan in the first quarter. They can't block Chris Jones, D Ford, or Justin Houston to save their life for the majority of the game. They're down four points almost the whole game. You have the officials basically gift the Chiefs a touchdown in the fourth quarter with a bunch of garbage calls on third down stops the Chargers got. I mean, it's just one thing after another. It just kept building and building. They're down 14 with five minutes to go in that game. You realize that no team in the NFL this year has come back from a 14-point deficit with five minutes or fewer in the game. They're the first team in 89 tries to do that. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, they overcame so much to win that game. And to be honest, I just I just don't know that there's a better way that they could have done it. I mean, it, it would have been easier in all of our hearts had they won it by 21 points and it had not been <laughs> stressful like that. Yeah. Um, but for them to overcome that way and – you know, upset the celebration. You know, they it's Tony Gonzalez night at, at the stadium. The Chiefs fans are waiting in line for their AFC West t-shirts, like we mentioned. They all think it's over. They've been celebrating basically since early in the third quarter. They think they're going to roll roll to a victory. The Chargers come back. They snatch victory from the hands of defeat. And it's just, it, it had to be that way. It kind of had to be that way for it to make sense. And I'm glad it happened that way. And it just seems like it's yet another building building block, another stepping stone in this season just seems to be headed towards something special with everything they continue to overcome on a weekly basis. It's just, it's hard to believe what we're seeing because we're just not used to seeing this kind of, this kind of uh, resilience from chargers teams. It's just not common. Yeah. And that kind of, uh, it was a good, it's a good segue because I was going to mention a lot of that, but I wanted to, Mention the impact of Anthony Lynn, and we've talked about it early on um, about giving him a ton of credit for this team's success. And it seems like we're watching Anthony Lynn throughout this year grow as a coach. Uh, this team has shown resilience, like you said. Again, they never panicked when they were down. They persevered and give the players a lot of credit. But Anthony Lynn is steering this eleven and three ship. He's had the ability to keep this team calm. Never stop fighting. And I know that's, you know, kind of coach speak or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, what this team has endured over the last 14 weeks, I think it's true. In Pittsburgh, the Steelers were 220-0-2 when leaning by 14-plus at home. On Thursday, like you mentioned, they became the first team to come back from 14-plus point deficit in the final five minutes. Teams were 0-88 and before Thursday. Anthony Lynn has made sure this team is never out of a game. When the Chargers were driving at the end of the game, I kind of had a feeling that they were going to score just because that's how this script's been written this season. You know, I had a feeling that it was going to happen. It was tough and uh, it didn't come easy by any means, but I thought they were going to score. And when they did, it was like, what happens now? You know, is he going to go for two? And I thought when they, when they were on the two yard line and they had eight seconds, I was like, if he goes for two, I will defend Anthony Lynn till I'm blue in the face. Because at that moment, that was the absolute right move. 
during the game, Philip Rivers said he was going towards the sideline. He was ready to kick it. Travis Benjamin thought they were going to kick the PAT. But with the game, with the way that game was going and just the ebbs and flows of that game on the road against your division rival in prime time with the division lead in the balance, you go with for Patrick broke. Mahomes on the other sideline. Exactly. Yeah, you try to win it. And you don't want to give Patrick Mahomes the ball back. So regardless of the result, he made the absolute right move. And I said, you know, uh, a week ago or two weeks ago when Ken Wisenhunt ran that read option with Phillip Rivers on that third down, I said, even if Rivers got that first down, it was the absolute wrong call. And I would have bagged on him just as much, even if he would have converted it. And in this moment, if he wouldn't have converted it, it was the right move in that moment. Anthony Lynn said it best. We did not come here to tie. We came here to win. That's Anthony Lynn. This is the moment for Anthony Lynn that just feels like a defining moment in his coaching career. He's a guy who's challenged his team on the goal line when he was flexing on fourth down, and he took a chance to help his team win. He made sure to not play to lose, which we've seen in the past. And he put his trust in his team, and he talks about how much he he believes in this team, and he put up, it's put up or shut up. Like, are you going to try it, try to kick the extra point and hope you win the coin toss? Anthony Lynn said, no, we're going to try to win this game right here, right now. And he deserves a ton of credit. This isn't the Anthony Lynn of last year, who was a little bit more timid, a little bit more safe. Even earlier this year, he was a little bit more safe. This was the absolute right call. Uh, balls of steel. I know a lot of people were like, well, what if he missed that? Anthony Lynn would have been dogged the next day. Not by me. That was the absolute right call. We talked about that game in London. I thought Mike Vrabel made the right call. Titans couldn't really move the ball. They did at the end. They scored, and they had to go for two to try to win it, and they weren't going to win in overtime against the Chargers in that game. And I don't think the Chargers really were going to beat the Chiefs in overtime. I, I just didn't, I don't think that would have happened. That would have given the crowd more life. You would have given Mahomes the ball again. Forget it. You've corralled Tyreek Hill for most of that game. And, uh, you know, you're just asking for something bad to happen. So he didn't do it. And Anthony Lynn made the absolute right call. Balls of steel. He's grown before our eyes. And what a sight to see. Yeah. I mean, there were a couple decisions in that game at the end there that could have gone either way and either really worked out for him or not really worked out for him. The first one was after they scored the touchdown to get within seven. There were about four minutes left on the clock. And they kicked the ball to the Chiefs. And I was mildly surprised they kicked the ball to the Chiefs because at that point you're thinking you don't want to give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Um, and you're just kind of thinking, well, the Chiefs are going to get a first down, maybe two, and they're going to bleed the clock, and this thing's over. And and then all of a sudden, Phylon gets a tackle a tackle for loss on first yep. down. They get him behind the chains. They get the three, the three and out. And it's like, oh, this is going to happen. Yeah. And I, I even kind of thought – I. In the back of my mind, I thought I thought Des King was going to return the punt for a touchdown. <laughs> I really did. I thought it was going to mirror what happened against the Ravens the week before. I thought it was going to kind of go along those lines where he was either going to set them up with really good field position or return it for a touchdown. It just had that kind of feel. Yeah. Um. And and then you know that when they decide to go for the two point conversion, you're thinking you can't give the ball back to Mahomes. You can't go to overtime. You have to go for it. So. I heard some people criticize him. You know, he's going to get ripped. He's going to look stupid if they don't get it. To me, there's nothing to lose there. I mean, yeah, you can lose the game th- theoretically, but at this point, if you don't win that game, you have no shot at winning the division. Worst case scenario, you lose it. You don't win the division anyway. So why not roll the dice, go for it, 
take the chance that you're not putting the ball back in Mahomes' hands and you're not going to overtime in that in that arena in that that scenario with all that on on you know with all that was at stake and um just give your give your quarterback put the ball in the hands of your quarterback give him a chance to make a play and that worked out and it was brilliant and I you can't criticize him for making that call because he trusted his players and he went for the win. He went for the kill, which is the one thing that we've been saying all year long is he's had a couple chances to go for the kill in these games and put teams away, and he never does it. And finally, here in the biggest game of the year, in the biggest game of his head coaching career, he's got that chance. He's faced with the opportunity, and he does it, and it works out. And whether it works out or not, it was the right move. I totally agree with you. It was balls of steel, I think, is the only way you can explain it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I think most coaches kick it there to be honest with you. So listen, the Chargers coach- became the first team since 2002 to convert a two-point conversion to win a game in the final 10 seconds. Up until Thursday, nine out of the 10 teams who scored that touchdown under 10 seconds kicked the extra point. So nine out of 10 coaches go for the tie there and go and, and force it to overtime. Anthony yep. Lynn and the Vikings, I think, were the, the only Vikings two- in 2002. Yep. Yeah. So Vikings and Chargers are the only two teams to go for the win. Yeah. I mean, crazy. Just- just brilliant to, I mean, and talk about giving your quarterback a lift after he's thrown a couple interceptions in the first half, including one in the red zone, um, to give him the ball in that situation and let him, let him go out and win it. I mean, that just speaks volumes of how he felt Rivers was playing, how the offense was playing, and basically just, they can't stop us. So let's just go out and win it. And you got to give him credit for that kind of confidence in his players to let them do that when, you know, it would have been easier to kick the field goal or kick the extra point and, take your chances in overtime but he was smart enough not to do that yeah and you know they were talking uh after the game they were interviewing him and he lynn said he told ken wisenhunt after the chiefs went three and out when we score here get your two-point play ready because we're gonna run it and you know uh rivers was starting to jog off the field like i mentioned and thinking that they're going to kick the extra point and lynn said let's go win it right now to rivers and he said it with such conviction rivers said shoot let's go do this and he did and that's a coach that trusts his team and players and you know the slow starts are a problem you can't ignore that there's no way around that and anthony lynn's got to figure that out but this was his masterpiece and a hell of a job by Wiz and gus and everybody all around Wiz's game to call that without Gordon or Eckler or Keenan going down, you know, early and uh, get that touchdown when they needed it in the two point conversion. Gus Bradley's D held Patrick Mahomes under 300 yards. And for once, Tyreek Hill didn't beat the Chargers. I mean, I, I guess you can throw George Stewart a bone because nothing really happened on special teams other than that 51 yard return by Traymon Williams. Badgley made all his kicks. Sure. I'm in a good mood. I'll throw uh, Stuart a bone here, but <laughs> but Wiz, Gus, Lynn, man, that was I mean that was lights out. There were some mistakes early. Uh, that was on Rivers, and he even called himself a knucklehead in the post game interview. So he knew it. And what's funny about that post game interview is he was like, "We." He started to say we had two turnovers, and then he said I had two turnovers. He almost yeah. said it as a team He's thing. Like, He's like, "No, no, 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 no. It was me." Your yeah. knucklehead quarterback throws the ball <laughs> to them on the first play of the game. What is that? <laughs> yeah, that interview was great. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you look at that game, and frankly, I, I mean, their game plan on both sides of the ball was spot on. I mean, they took so away that. So much better on the second time around, too. Because when you're watching it, I was I was going, man, something doesn't really feel like it's clicking, and then eventually they come back. But when I watched it back, they, yeah, all faces, man, they looked great. 
Yeah, you know, even even though they were down early in that game and down from the majority of the game, it wasn't because they weren't playing well. Yeah. Um, you know, they Rivers' first pick, it, in my opinion, he made a good read. You know, they've got man coverage across the board. There's no deep safety. Tyrell, I mean, he smokes Stephen uh, Stephen Nelson off the off the line. And if it's not for the pressure coming and Rivers throwing off of his back foot, I mean, that's a touchdown. He catches that ball with five yards of separation and he's gone. Yep. Um, and I, you know, I. I can't really defend the interception in the red zone. I don't know what he was looking at or what he thought he was doing. I'm trying to tell myself that he was trying to throw that ball away, but I, I think he was trying to throw a jump ball there, a YOLO ball for, for Tyrell and yeah. just made a bad decision. Um, and they should have gone into halftime tied because he missed a wide open Mike Williams, the play before that interception missed him so badly over his head that Mike was surprised. You go back and you watch that and Mike's got his hands up like, Hey man, what happened? He's jumping up and down. He was wide open on a slant in the middle of the end zone, and Rivers just missed him, just flat missed him. Uh, that should have been 14-14 at half. You know, outside of Mahomes breaking contain on a couple plays that were just, yeah. I mean, just freak escape jobs by him, Houdini. Yeah. Um, the defense really can, held him in the pocket and, and held him down. You could tell the the uh, pressure was really getting to him as the game went on, particularly the interior pressure. You know, I thought the edge rushers did a good job of holding the edge and not letting him outside, and those interior guys were hitting him. Rochelle was all over him all night long. Uh, they took Tyrell away on that deep over route. They or, or Tyreek, excuse me. They did a good job of using Phillips to drop deep and take those throws away. They basically just said, "You're not going to beat us with Tyrell. Find a different way to get the ball in the end zone." Not this time. Yep, and and outside of and outside of you know Mahomes breaking contain and making a couple of just freak plays. Yeah, I mean they 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 controlled that they controlled that offense. You know, one of those touchdowns is on a short field after the Rivers interception. They they forced four punts in the Chiefs' last six possessions in that game, and one of the touchdowns they gave up in those six possessions was greatly aided by the officials. So, uh. I mean, they really controlled the flow of that game in the second half. And um, and I thought pretty much everything they were doing for the majority of the game was working. And I think you need to give Wiz a lot of credit because yeah. he, he stuck with the run in a situation where you would normally expect him to completely abandon it. After abandoning it against the Bengals last week, he stuck with it when they were down 14 points early in the third quarter that – the second scoring drive for the Chargers was almost was heavily fueled by the running game. They had a couple big runs uh, by Newsom and Jackson in that in that drive, and of course Jackson finishes it with a touchdown. And um, they just they stuck with the run. They didn't get out of their game plan. They didn't let the Chiefs dictate the pace or speed them up. They kept methodically marching the ball down the field. They shortened the game, and at the end of the game. They managed those last two or three possessions perfectly, and they got exactly what they wanted, and they won the game. And that's two really big primetime games in a row that they have managed the last eight to ten minutes of the game beautifully and put themselves in a position to win a one-score a one score game. So kudos to them because those, those coaches did a fantastic job, even when they were behind. And, you know, you watch that game. Everybody's playing hard. Everybody's playing well. Just a couple little mistakes, a couple, you know, uh, Nawosu gets sucked in instead of keeping p- contain, or you know they just Mahomes just buys time. But they they did everything pretty much right in that game, and to hold that offense under 300 yards, and that and that and their in their home field like that is that's remarkable. Yeah, 
Absolutely. With everything on the line, yeah, they did great. All, all the coaches did. So kudos to all of them. Uh, wh- so what's your uh, last storyline here? So I kind of talked about it a little bit, but just to hit on some fine points here, um, my my last point was that the defense re- the defense really answered the bell. You know, we talked about they held Mahomes under 250 yards passing. They basically kept him in the pocket all night, and you could tell the pressure was getting to him. Held the Chiefs under 300 yards of total offense. Tyreek Hill only had six touches for 41 yards, and 33 of those yards came on one touch. Uh, they were not fooled by the jet sweeps that killed them in the first game. They really choked those down and and, and um, limited the damage on those plays. I mentioned they forced four punts in the final six Chiefs possessions, including two three and outs in the fourth quarter. Um, Gus went with a lot more man coverage, relied heavily on Phillips to take away those deep overs. And they found really good matchups, I thought, um, and kind of a wrinkle that we had not seen before. They found really good matchups for Michael Davis versus the Chiefs' tight ends. He played really well against the tight ends, had a pass breakup on a third down, was right on in Kelsey's hip on several throws. Um, and they, they did a good job of putting everybody in a position to succeed, and that defense played its ass off, man. I mean, everybody from top to bottom on that defensive roster played hard. They got plays up and down the depth chart on defense. And it was it was a thing of beauty. I mean, just a great game plan. They executed it well, and they played hard. And they're a big reason why the Chargers are eleven and three right now. Yeah, absolutely. Before we get to playoffs, how about Antonio Gates looking ten years younger? I mean, the Chiefs had like no answers for Gates at all. He looked almost shades of old. I don't know if he got fired up for the moment or what, but if we get that Gates in the playoffs, he's going to be trouble. His routes were crisp, pretty sharp. He was able to cut up field a couple times, break a few tackles. There was that one play on a third and two where Dorian O'Daniel had him right after the sticks, and he basically sidestepped him, and Dan- O'Daniel laid him, and he took it up field for 11 more yards. It was a pretty impressive game from Antonio Gates. Yeah, he looked good. Um, again, that Chiefs defense sucks, but he looked really good. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, he And Rivers even said that... Um, if Mike wasn't open, Gates was going to get that ball there. And uh, on the rewatch, he looked pretty open on that two-point conversion. He actually said, I thought he said that they were going to look for him, for Gates, up the seam um, on either the third or fourth down before they before they threw the touchdown pass to Mike. He said that they, they, they were looking to take a shot at Mike and take a shot at Gates um, on third and fourth down if they did not convert earlier in the series. So they were, I mean, they were dialing up a play for him in the red zone which we've been complaining about all season, but he looked good last night. Okay, I guess we can get into playoffs here. I don't want to go too negative, but uh, I think it's time to get worried about Dan Feeney, by the way. I don't you know, I don't think we need to totally get into it because we're riding a high here and a lot of positives, and uh, I can tell we're each smiling as we're talking about this game, but, man, if there was one low light, Dan, Dan Feeney uh, is a problem, officially. I thought he and Schofield both struggled heavily with Chris Jones. It wasn't just Feeney. Schofield and Feeney have been uh, bad for a few weeks, but uh, Feeney is uh, hes an issue. He was uh, a guy everybody had high hopes for, and I'm not off the train yet, but, man, they got to bring in some competition at left guard. He can't pass protect. I mean, he's good in the run game, but he's, yeah. he's a mess in pass protection. He just can't oh, hold the God. block to save his life. Can't stay in front of anybody. Anybody with the slightest bit of speed gives him fits. Uh, he was getting. I mean, look, Chris Jones is a Pro Bowler. He's a star. He is a dude. An, he is so good. He is an animal. So uh, there are a lot of guards that struggle with him 
on a regular basis. But Chris Jones, a lightning round podcast favorite during the draft yes, podcast, by the way. Yes, I wanted the Chargers to take him and Bosa <laughs> in the first two rounds of that draft. Could you imagine that? So bad. Oh, my God. Yeah, man. Even Derek Nottie show <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> having some highlights on Thursday, too. Yep. Another favorite of ours. But uh, let's let's get off of Dan Feeney and let's talk about the playoffs because we can. Five <laughs> years of this podcast, we have never been able to have a lightning round podcast, playoff podcast, and we are doing it because the Chargers officially clinched their playoff berth. They are either going to be the one seed or... Or the five seed, they're either going to have the one seed home field advantage and a first round bye, or their fifth seed. They'll have to go on the road as a wild card team. To get the one seed, the Chargers have to finish a game better than the Chiefs. I mean, ultimately, that loss to Denver really cost the Chargers. But the Chargers are going to have to go two and zero. Chiefs got to go one and one, or Chargers go one and one. Chiefs lose out. They got to finish a game better. If the Chiefs and Chargers finish with the same record, Chargers will be the fifth seed. So right now. As of today, we recorded after the uh, Sunday game, so we kind of get a better idea of what the AFC playoff picture will be, and it goes as follows. If the season ended today, Kansas City Chiefs are number one, Houston are the number two seed, both of them would have a bye. It would be the number three seed New England Patriots versus the number six seed Baltimore Ravens in Foxborough, and it would be the number four seed Pittsburgh Steelers would play the Chargers in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I I still kind of have a feeling the Ravens might sneak up on the on the Steelers and steal that four spot, but yeah, right now it's looking like the Chargers are more than likely headed back to Pittsburgh for the first round of the playoffs unless something changes dramatically. I got this question asked on Twitter, but I want to ask you, who would you rather play if the Chargers finish as the 5th seed? They got to go on the road. Who would you rather face, the Baltimore Ravens or the Pittsburgh Steelers? I keep going back and forth on this because I feel like there are positives and negatives to both matchups. Um, I think what I keep coming back to, though, is I just don't like the prospects of having to win two games at Heinz Field in December slash January in that weather with so much at stake. I just The Chargers bucked the odds beating the Steelers the first time in that comeback, and I just feel like asking them to go back and do that again I'm um, not that they can't beat the Steelers again, but to do it in Heinz Field twice in such a short period of time, I just feel like you're asking a lot. So I'm kind of leaning towards playing the Ravens, to be honest with you. Um, the running game and the defense pose some challenges, but I feel like there are just fewer offensive weapons for the Ravens as a whole. And I feel like if you can find a way to stack the line of scrimmage and bottle up the run, the Ravens just are not going to hurt you in the passing game. Um, and then if you can find a way to make a couple plays, you know, that's a game that you probably wind up winning somewhere in the neighborhood of 17 to 24 with 17 to 24 points. You don't need to put a bunch of points on the board to beat the Ravens. So I think I'm leaning towards playing in Baltimore against the Ravens. I just feel like it's not quite the hostile environment that, that Heinz field is. And I just have a, I'm just a little uncomfortable about going back to Pittsburgh for the second time and four or five weeks with so much at stake. No, I, I, I see your point there, and I understand that, that that's going to be a tough ask to win a second one in Pittsburgh in the playoffs. But, you know, I think I would go the opposite way. Um, you know, you're basically asking, do you want to go up against a bad offense or a good defense in Baltimore or a good offense and a bad defense in Pittsburgh? And to me, I'd rather have a shootout with Pittsburgh against a bad defense. And, you know, just in the playoffs, when you have a good running game, 
with an elite mobile quarterback like Lamar Jackson with a good defense just to me sounds like a recipe for disaster. A team that could drag out a game, that can stop you on offense. Uh, they're a pretty tough-nosed team that has real good interior line play in Baltimore. So I would have, you know, I-, I just feel like it would be a tough environment to play in. Uh, I know I know it's not as bad as Pittsburgh, but it would be a, a bad environment. And also just like in the playoffs, playing one of those, you know, old-school, beat-you-down, ground-and-pound teams just doesn't seem like a uh, good matchup. So I would probably say Baltimore Ravens today. Uh, I think the Chargers are probably going to be favored in either one of them and should probably win either game between Pittsburgh or Baltimore, to be honest with you. But uh, hoping for that one seed. I think – one thing that kind of scares me a little bit is I feel like the Steelers might have found their identity today against the Patriots to beat the Patriots what they beat them 17 to 10 um and they really sh- they took Gronk away which they've never done before they got back to the run and they pounded the rock with Jalen Samuels who had a huge game against the the uh the Patriots uh it just seems like with December hitting here and the playoffs are coming around, it seems like they've found that defensive run first identity that they've always done so well with in the playoffs. And it's something that they kind of gotten away from in recent years. So I'm a little worried the Steelers might've found their identity. And I just kind of feel like you got a better chance of putting the Ravens in those third and six, third and seven, third and eight kind of situations where you can kind of expose Lamar a little bit at this stage of his career, maybe force a couple of mistakes and get a couple of short fields. Um, and I feel like while they may stretch the game out and it might, it's probably going to be low scoring. I feel like they're going to have a hard time scoring in the playoffs because they're so one dimensional, but I'm not going to lie that run, that run offense, that rush offense does worry me a little bit just because of how well they run it. And with all those different people that run the ball, that carry the ball and how effective they've been in recent weeks, it is a little, it's a little scary. Yeah, I mean, there's good and bad matchups to both of them. And again, I think the Chargers should win e- either matchup, whether it's the Steelers or the Ravens. But uh, I'm glad we're able to talk about it. And we're going to get a better picture of it in the next couple weeks. But for now, that's going to do it for us. I am at Garrisisti on Twitter. Jamie? At Lightning underscore round. And we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.